the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands, totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. Good evening, everyone. This is Soapy Dollar. Appreciate your being along with us tonight for this edition of the Bible Live broadcast. We are making our way through the beautiful, wonderful Gospel of Mark. I love this book, the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, seamless, clearly one great book. It's a record of the revelation of the creator of the universe. Just imagine the Father, the Son, the Spirit, their greatness, their power, their wisdom, their understanding, their knowledge, so vastly beyond even our imagination. And then they care enough about us to have created this privileged planet and to call us to be a people of their own, to give us the possibility of choosing to enjoy a friendship, a love relationship with the creator of the universe. I don't think that should ever become humdrum, common, and normal to us. Don't ever lose the wonder of the redemptive plan told to us in this book, the Bible. All that being said, I cannot help but love it so much when we come over into the New Testament. I love to read about the Savior, the Messiah, about Jesus of Nazareth and his life. God incarnate. If God became a man, how would he act? How would he speak? When you look at the life of Jesus, there is this uniqueness, this difference about him. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Gospel of Mark when we come to that in a moment. We'll pick up in chapter 6 tonight. I'll give you a sense of where we are in the Gospel. As you know, it's a very active, fast-paced book, the Gospel of Mark. Jesus goes from place to place, touching lives and ministering in the name of the Father. Right now, though, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment. Two Psalms tonight, 149 and 150 on the Psalm Bible Live. 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing His praises in the assembly of the faithful. O Israel, rejoice in your Maker. O people of Jerusalem, exult in your King. Praise His name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. For the Lord delights in His people. He crowns the humble with salvation. 
Let the faithful rejoice in this honor. Let them sing for joy as they lie in their beds. Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with shackles and their leaders with iron chains, to execute the judgment written against them. This is the glory of his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his heavenly dwelling. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with the blast of the trumpet. Praise him with the lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that lives sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. End of reading Psalms 149 and 150. Those last five Psalms, 146 through 150, they all begin and end with the words, Praise the Lord. How important worship and praise is to our lives. We are coming back now to prepare for our reading from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to start at chapter 6, verse 2. If you're hearing for the first time tonight, this is written probably from Rome. John Mark, John the Hebrew name, Mark the Greek name, is a young man who has been involved in the life and ministry of Jesus almost from the beginning. Afterwards, in the life of Peter, he's been involved. In all likelihood, his mother greatly involved in the life of Jesus. This young man now comes to write this biography. It's not a chronological, although Mark is the most chronological of the Gospels. It goes through chronologically these experiences and these scenes in the life of Jesus. These are not histories in the strictest sense. These are different portraits of the life of Jesus. John Mark here writes from the perspective, most probably, of Peter. Remember, Peter is the one who went to John Mark's home after he was released from prison. There is a relationship there. Each of the writers give a portrait of Jesus. They may talk about the same event, and they may slightly differ, but that would be natural if any of us were to watch a certain event. I might emphasize one thing. You might emphasize another. We might describe the same action in a different way. Someone might say, well, he took her hand and lifted her up. Or someone might say, he reached down and touched her. It's the same thing, except that they voice it differently. John Mark, though, wrote the first of the four Gospels. All but 31 verses of this Gospel are cited in the others, Matthew and Luke. Written somewhere around 55 A.D., this Gospel records more miracles than any of the other Gospels. It's a Gospel of action, Jesus moving from person to person, place to place, touching lives as a servant. The emphasis is on Jesus, the Messiah, as servant. In the last reading, we saw him go across the Sea of Galilee. We saw him calm the wind and the waves. He went to this Gadarean demoniac on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. He healed this man who hung out in the tombs in the graveyard of his insanity, of his mental problems. Then he sends him back. He wants to go with Jesus when he leaves, but he says, no, I want you to go tell what God has done in your life. In tonight's reading, Jesus goes back to that region, and you're going to see that young man that Jesus healed and helped must have had an incredible ministry as he went from city to city, town to town, telling what God had done in his life. Because when Jesus comes back for this follow-up event, he's had this amazing advanced man out there talking about what Jesus had done for him. 
then we have this huge crowd that gathers to hear Jesus, the Messiah, and there's a tremendous result, a tremendous effectiveness of ministry. We have to relate it to that man who was healed. Finally, I want to mention this. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit has been mentioned. The unpardonable sin, that is to reject the work of the Holy Spirit. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? It is to glorify Jesus. We're told in John 15 and 16. The Holy Spirit is the agent of the new birth. Jesus tells us in John chapter 3. He is there to exalt Jesus and bring sinners to the possibility of knowing Christ and Savior. If they reject that work, in other words, if they reject the gospel, if they reject salvation, that is the only sin that cannot be forgiven. If you reject salvation, you cannot receive it. Let's go to the Bible live in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 6, 2 through 8, 21. Mark 6. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They asked, Where did he get all his wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? He is just the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went out from village to village teaching, and he called his twelve disciples together and sent them out two by two with authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing with them except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He told them to wear sandals, but not to take even an extra coat. When you enter each village, be a guest in only one home, he said, and if a village won't welcome you or listen to you, shake off its dust from your feet as you leave. It is a sign that you have abandoned that village to its fate. So the disciples went out, telling all they met to turn from their sins. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Herod Antipas the king soon heard about Jesus, because people everywhere were talking about him. Some were saying, This must be John the Baptist come back to life again. That is why he can do such miracles. Others thought Jesus was the ancient prophet Elijah. Still others thought he was a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John kept telling Herod, It is illegal for you to marry your brother's wife. Herodias was enraged and wanted John killed in revenge, but without Herod's approval, she was powerless. And Herod respected John, knowing that he was a good and holy man, so he kept him under his protection. Herod was disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias' chance finally came. It was Herod's birthday, and he gave a party for his palace aides, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased them all. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. Then he promised, I will give you whatever you ask, up to half of my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, What should I ask for? Her mother told her, Ask for John the Baptist's head. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king was very sorry, but he was embarrassed to break his oath in front of his guests. So he sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl, who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came for his body and buried it in a tomb. 
This is the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and what they had taught. Then Jesus said, let's get away from the crowds for a while and rest. There were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. They left by boat for a quieter spot, but many people saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and met them as they landed. A vast crowd was there as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he taught them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and it is getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what, they asked. It would take a small fortune to buy food for all this crowd. How much food do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the crowd to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat in groups of fifty or a hundred. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and asked God's blessing on the food. Breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples to give to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And they picked up twelve baskets of leftover bread and fish, Five thousand men had eaten from those five loaves. Immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and head out across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. Afterward, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. During the night, the disciples were in their boat out in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, he came to them walking on the water. He started to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said. I am here. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were astonished at what they saw. They still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the multiplied loaves, for their hearts were hard, and they did not believe. When they arrived at Gennesaret on the other side of the lake, they anchored the boat and climbed out. The people standing there recognized him at once, and they ran throughout the whole area and began carrying sick people to him on mats. Wherever he went, in villages and cities and out on the farms, they laid the sick in the market plazas and streets. The sick begged him to let them at least touch the fringe of his robe, and all who touched it were healed. This is the Bible Lie with Soapy Dollar. Mark 7. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to confront Jesus. They noticed that some of Jesus' disciples failed to follow the usual Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they eat nothing bought from the market unless they have immersed their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremony of washing cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law ask him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old customs? For they eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was prophesying about you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. Their worship is a farce, for they replace God's commands with their own man-made teachings. For you ignore God's specific laws and substitute your own traditions. Then he said, you reject God's laws in order to hold on to your own traditions. 
For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I could have given to you. You let them disregard their needy parents. As such, you break the law of God in order to protect your own tradition. And this is only one example. There are many, many others. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. You are not defiled by what you eat. You are defiled by what you say and do. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowds, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the statement he had made. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that what you eat won't defile you? Food doesn't come in contact with your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then comes out again. By saying this, he showed that every kind of food is acceptable. And then he added, It is the thought life that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, eagerness for lustful pleasure, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you and make you unacceptable to God. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He tried to keep it secret that he was there, but he couldn't. As usual, the news of his arrival spread fast. Right away, a woman came to him whose little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. She had heard about Jesus, and now she came and fell at his feet. She begged him to release her child from the demon's control. Since she was a Gentile, born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First, I should help my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are given some crumbs from the children's plates. Good answer, he said, and because you have answered so well, I have healed your daughter. And when she arrived home, her little girl was lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Jesus left Tyre and went to Sidon, then back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him to a private place, away from the crowd. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then, spitting onto his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue with the spittle. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and commanded, Be opened. Instantly the man could hear perfectly and speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news, for they were completely amazed. Again and again they said, Everything he does is wonderful. He even heals those who are deaf and mute. This is the Bible lie with Soapy Dollar. Mark 8 About this time another great crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. And if I send them home without feeding them, they will faint along the road, for some of them have come a long distance. How are we supposed to find enough food for them here in the wilderness, his disciples asked. How many loaves of bread do you have, he asked. Seven, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, broke them into pieces, and gave them to his disciples, who distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found too, so Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to pass them out. They ate until they were full, and when the scraps were picked up, there were seven large baskets of food left over. 
There were about 4,000 people in the crowd that day, and he sent them home after they had eaten. Immediately after this, he got into a boat with his disciples and crossed over to the region of Dalmanutha. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came to argue with him. Testing him to see if he was from God, they demanded, Give us a miraculous sign from heaven to prove yourself. When he heard this, he sighed deeply and said, Why do you people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I assure you, I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and left them, and he crossed to the other side of the lake. But the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any food, so there was only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. They decided he was saying this because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he said, Why are you so worried about having no food? Won't you ever learn or understand? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? What about the 5,000 men I fed with five loaves of bread? How many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand even yet, he asked them. End of reading, Mark 6, 2 through eight twenty one. Weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. Oh, raise your head for love is passing by. This is the Bible live. Thou shalt not go away. Come to the Lord. Don't reject Him. Don't resist Him. There's no reason to resist this one who comes with love, who comes with understanding, who comes with forgiveness and cleansing and power to live as we ought. I pray that if you hear Him knocking at the door of your heart, that you will not turn Him away. There is that beautiful passage in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. He talks about there's a door. I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking, he says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Jesus said, I will come in. He didn't say, I might come in if you're lucky, if you're handsome, if you're smart, if you're good-looking, if you're talented, if you're famous, if you're rich. He didn't say any of that. He said, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, with all of our mistakes, with all of our difficulties, we dare to say, Lord, I believe who you are. I trust you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I receive by faith your forgiveness, your cleansing, and your lordship. And I've come by faith into the family of God because of who you are and what you accomplished on my behalf. I hope that that might be in your heart tonight, driving around San Antonio or wherever you might be listening to the program. You've heard this gospel. You've heard God words, Jesus words, Bible words. Perhaps all of your life because you're fortunate enough to live in a land where the gospel is well known. It's preached. It's heard many different places. Some may say, well, I've never really heard that. And that's the work of the Spirit to make you really hear it, to understand that this invitation is for you. Come by faith into a confident, secure relationship with the creator of the universe. We've all sinned and fall short of God's perfection and his righteousness But in spite of that, because of Jesus, we can come into that relationship. I hope that you will do that and that you won't be like these folks in Nazareth who made the Unbelievers Hall of Fame. Can you imagine that? The Messiah amazed by their unbelief. A little town, Nazareth was not a huge metropolis. 
Maybe the familiarity is what brought this disdain, what brought this lack of faith. Some of you have that same familiarity. You've heard the gospel. You've heard about Jesus. You're kind of bored with it all. You are not capable of receiving a miracle. You're not able to receive a miracle from Messiah. Some were healed there in Nazareth, but generally speaking, he was unable, not as God. God can make miracles anywhere, but remember Jesus is doing everything he does, not by his own power, his own initiative, his own prerogative and authority as God. He's doing it as the Messiah, as the perfect man of faith, trusting in the Father's direction and guidance. Evidently, in that setting, in that context, The people of Nazareth in general, although there were some that were healed, were unable to receive miracles. They were unable to receive what the Messiah could offer. It was ordained by the Father that they would not receive miracles and blessings. A very sad story there. Well, during the life of Jesus, one of the guiding principles was the training, the preparation of his disciples. These young men, basically, all of them in their teens, probably except maybe Peter, It seems that Peter and Jesus were the two that had to pay the temple tax, which is for 20 years old and older. But these young men, they are being trained and prepared, and there is a priority to them. It's one of the reasons we see Jesus telling people, don't tell anyone about this. Keep quiet about this, because he's trying to move incognito or under the radar as he prepares and trains his disciples. So you see him them being sent out two by two, sent out in their training. And so for those of you who think that training is not important, Jesus trained his disciples. We see here the death of John the Baptist. Palestine was divided into four territories. Each of them had a different ruler. And Herod Antipas, called Herod in the Gospels, was the ruler over Galilee, while his brother Philip ruled over a different region. It was called Trachonitis. Philip's wife was Herodias, but she had left him in order to marry his brother, Herod Antipas. John was the one who had the courage to confront the two for committing adultery. So Herodias, the wife, formulated a plot to kill him. Instead of turning from her sin and getting her heart right with God, they reacted against the messenger and plotted to have John the Baptist killed. Christians today live in a world of moral compromise as well. Secular power sets standards, political power sets standards that correspond to majority vote, not to the standards of Scripture. As responsible Christians, we have to take our stand and choose our battles as well and stand courageously for righteousness in our culture. Jesus in his hometown. That is so remarkable, this experience that he has in his hometown and his brothers and his sisters and all of the different responses to Messiah. It just reminds me of the fact that human beings, we do things for our own reasons. We're so individual, uh, each of us, with our unique backgrounds and our thought patterns and our personalities, experiences that we've had that mark us and that shape us. And yet, when you hear the voice of God, when the Holy Spirit knocks at the door of your life and says, you need this, this is for you, this hope, this forgiveness, this cleansing, I hope that you won't turn away for any reason. Open the door. Receive that blessing from God. See you next time. Soapy Dollar. Soapy Reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndall House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America. And your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. 
You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.